Okay, ready? Check, check, check. <laughs> All right, so welcome everybody to the UGAB podcast, UGAB show. Your breath really smells like cheeseburger from McDonald's. <laughs> okay. Since this is part of the plan, we're going to yes. talk about my breath? Okay, yeah. nice. Welcome everybody. Hi. Hi, welcome back. Thanks for listening to episode one. UGAB show. Of the UGAB show, UGAB podcast. We can fight about that for a little while. I like <laughs> podcast. You like show? Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, we can fight I'm about that. We're not going to fight about no, we'll, it. No, no, we're going <laughs> to fight about it. We can fight about it later. Okay. So we're calling this one episode one because the last one we called episode zero since it's sort of like an introduction. We're just talking about, uh, you know, talking about ourselves, introducing ourselves talking about what our plans are for the podcast and that kind of stuff. So this is our first more sort of planned out episode uh, where we actually have a topic and some things to talk about in an outline. feels very official, very formal, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we're professionals now. Yeah, we are. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So uh, in episode one, we are going to talk about a green card application. So this is something that we've been working on a lot over the last couple of months, uh, Tanya's rolling her eyes at me right now, probably because she's going to say, well, you've been working on it a lot. Yeah, I wouldn't say we. <laughs> no, it's we. You helped also. Okay. Um, so we got married at the end of September. And then, uh, you know, we have been doing a lot of planning and preparing and doing all these forms and uh, files and paperwork and making copies and all that kind of stuff. So we wanted to talk about our experience with uh, sort of preparing all of that stuff, all of the decisions that went into that, deciding when to file and, uh, you know, if we wanted to do it ourselves or use a lawyer and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to talk about that. And then uh, along with that, we decided to talk about, uh, you know, Tanya changing her name after we got married. Yeah. So I think it was like funny because you asked me like, oh, do you want to change your name when we get married? And then I was like, um, yeah, I really wanted to change my name, you know, I wanted to be Peterson. I think like, that's, I really wanted, like some people probably get married and maybe they don't want to change it or something. I really, uh, sincerely wanted to change my last name. But then, like, I think before you actually make this decision, you have to Google. <laughs> because maybe you want to change it. You just can't. You just can't. Then you find out that you can, but it's pretty hard. It's yeah. stupidly hard. It doesn't really right. make any sense how hard it is. And it ends up being a huge pain in the ass that you hadn't really planned for. Okay, so one of the first uh, decisions that we had to make was when we actually wanted to start filing for the green card. So for those of you who don't know, uh, basically, once you get married, you can file for the green card right away if you want to. Um, but the way it works is that if you have been married for less than two years, then you only initially get a conditional green card, which is valid for two years. And then at the end of the two years, you have to file another application to have the conditions removed. And then you have to do another interview and do all that stuff. And if it gets approved, which hopefully it does, then you get your like more permanent uh, green card, which is valid mm -hmm. for 10 years. 
If you wait uh, for two years after you've been married and then file the green card, then you don't have to go through the process of getting the conditions removed and you just get the 10 year green card like right off the bat. So we had to think a little bit about whether we wanted to file it right away or whether we wanted to wait two years, um, basically because with Tanya's status, uh, you know, she is able to stay and work for at least another two years. So it wasn't really a matter of her not, you know, having status at that point or not being able to work. Um, I know some people get in that situation where it's like, you know, their visa is going to expire, their uh, visa status is going to end, and they don't have any status to remain in the U.S. And they kind of have no choice but to go ahead and file at that time. For us, we could have waited if we wanted to, um, but basically we decided that we didn't want to. We just wanted to go ahead and get it filed now and that we would go through the kind of process of having to have the conditions removed in two years. Yeah, I think the main reason for that was um, to be able to travel, right? To go yeah, so outside of the country and come back. <laughs> yeah, that was a big reason. Um, Tanya's visa has expired and she's came here as an F1 student. So um, if we wanted to travel outside of the US, she basically would have to apply f to get a new F1 visa. So I can't, if I would leave the US, I, I cannot apply for F1 visa. Then. Well, you can apply. <laughs> it's just that you're probably not going to get it if you're married to a US right. citizen. Because um, the assumption at that point is that if you're married to a US citizen, you're probably going to want to stay in the US permanently. So the chances of her being able to travel outside of the US and apply for an F1 visa and actually get it approved is like not good. So that was one of the big factors that we thought about was being able to travel. Because we definitely want to be able to travel internationally and go home. Uh, well, Tanya goes home and I go to Ukraine to visit her family and that kind of stuff. Um, and the other part of that was, or the other big factor in the decision was, um, you know, her ability to work. So right now, since she's on OPT and then applied for the OPT STEM extension, um, any work that she does has to be directly related to her major, uh, which is she has a master's in liquid crystal. So um, it's a very specific degree and mm -hmm. it makes finding like finding jobs kind of difficult um, because you're pretty limited in what you're able to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess you'll get like more freedom and you don't have to worry about that. You don't, you know, meet requirements and you don't have to worry about it. Like somebody check on you and you don't work the job. Right. That you're supposed to. So that's why I'm working at USCIS. If you listen to us, I'm working the job that's related to my major <laughs> right now. And we've talked before about trying to start our own business and be entrepreneurs or do something like that. And it's really tough uh, for Tanya especially to try to start her own business. That's something that she's interested in. But if she tried to do it right now, basically, uh, well, first of all, she's on STEM extension now, which basically means that you can't start your own business um, and even before when she was on OPT if she wanted to her business would have to be directly related to her degree which is chemical physics and I think it's pretty hard to be an entrepreneur in the field of chemical physics and have mm -hmm. some kind of company that you're actually interested in uh, especially with Tanya you know she's very creative and uh, interested in like different types of business and whatnot so trying to start your own company in liquid crystal I think is going to be very challenging so um, applying for the green card would give us a lot more flexibility, would give Tanya a lot more flexibility in what she's able to do and where she can work and what she can do uh, and that kind of stuff. It just makes things a lot easier where she's not uh, so tied down in terms of like where she can work and the kinds of jobs that she can accept and that kind of stuff. So let's talk about changing your name, right? Okay. So 
Um, you knew that you wanted to do it. You wanted to change yeah. your last name and become Peterson because it's such a great last Yay. name, so beautiful sounding. <laughs> Even though originally I was joking, saying that like, oh, we should. I'll just change mine to Lopatkin. Well, the, yeah, but the main reason why I wanted to change mine is because you know when I call to the bank and then they ask my last name and I say Lopatkin, they're like, what? So I have to go like. L as in lemon, O as in orange, P as in palm, and blah, blah, blah. And everybody, like, even if I do it at work, you know, have, I have to go, like, I have to call bank and then tell them my last name. Everybody's laughing around me because, you know, if I would say Peterson, I think I wouldn't have to repeat it, right? So you're saying you just want to change your name yeah, because it's easier to spell? Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, I see. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. Now I know. Now I understand. So, uh, but basically we were thinking about like how or when she decided that she wanted to do that we were also thinking about how that was going to affect the green card process when knowing that we're going to file for that soon as well and then we were trying to figure out kind of how we should go about you know those two processes and which one we need to do first mm -hmm. and how they're going to affect each other yeah so we had to do a lot of research trying to figure out how we can actually go about getting her name changed and that was not easy <laughs> you would think that when you get married you change your name like it's a pretty straightforward thing but then come to find out if you're not from this country right. you're from somewhere else it's not super easy is it like um, these rules are in ohio or they're also applicable for their other state um i'm actually not sure i don't remember because i looked it up a few months ago um i think when i was looking at the name change like the regulation that i was looking at was from ohio but my guess is that it's probably pretty similar mm -hmm. um, but basically you if you wanted to change your name you have to at least be like legally change your name you have to be a permanent resident so if you're here okay. as like a student like a, like Tanya was as a non-resident alien or whatever they call mm -hmm. them um, you can't legally change your name in the US unless you have like a, some kind of document from your home country so if you have like your passport or whatever if you get it changed in your home country and you get a new passport then sure you can change your documents right, here right. But you can't go to the court and change it like yeah. an American citizen could. Because it wasn't, was it like um, the first one you said you're not a citizen? That's why you can't change? And also you have or to live in the area. Yeah. yeah, you have to live in the area for like at least one oh, year. Oh, yeah, that's right as well. Yeah, you, so yeah. You all, it was that. And then uh, I think we were also looking at doing it in Cuyahoga County where we live now. And uh, yeah, it also said something about you have to live in the county for a certain right. period of time, which we hadn't yet at right. that point. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I didn't know that before because I was thinking to apply for a new passport. So uh, as you might know, uh, Ukraine now they have this, um, they basically sign a paper with the European Union. Agreement. The agreement, yes. <laughs> Ukrainians can go to Europe and they don't need visa, but they need to have new passports. Mm -hmm. So I have an old passport and um, I remember when we were talking about it, because like I, we were planning to change my last name, but then I called the embassy and I asked them like, can I change the last name in my new passport? And they told me no, because first of all, they told me, oh, why do you need to change your last name? You came here as uh, Lopatkina, so just stay Lopatkina. They don't really care about you wanted to take your husband's last name. But um, the other thing is that they basically told me that you can, you know, um, have the password on your old name, and if you change the name, it's okay. Just like on the border, when you travel, you have to um, show your marriage license and just tell like 
like kind of prove that this is your last name is just your old last name so you just like have this passport but eventually they told me that you have to change it mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. so but at, at that point i think i didn't know like we didn't know that i actually cannot change it and then the embassy told me that there is no like you cannot change your last name if you're in the u.s if you want to change it you have to go to the ukraine you have to have your marriage license. You have to have your name order. And then you show them and they change your last name there in your like documents. So then you come here or you can just like apply for the passport while you're there, which is like seems a little bit impossible to me because you have to wait for like a long time, at least like 10 to two weeks while they process your passport and also like i'm still quite not sure how you go how you buy tickets how do you buy round trip if you're um traveling one way with your old passport and you're coming back with a different passport how do you even buy a round (laughs) trip ticket yeah and how do you know that this is the day you're actually going to get your passport so you can fly the date Mm -hmm. and i also you know i only have like two weeks uh, vacation per year i can't really go there for like uh two months right months or something yeah so to make a long story short we found out that you can't change your name in the u.s after you get married if you're not a permanent resident and for ukrainians you also can't do it in the u.s you have to go back to ukraine and get a new passport so uh when we basically what that meant is that when we filed the green card application we just had to do it with uh tanya's you know maiden name not changing it and then We'll worry about getting it all legally changed later. Um, so, I mean, she can tell people now that her name is Tanya Peterson because who cares? It's not like they're going to ask to see her passport or something or like, <laughs> oh, let me see your name change certificate. Um, at least not for, you know, like, unless you're trying to open a bank account or something. But um, <laughs> No, ba- I'm a Tanya Peterson. Right, yeah, That's but it. basically for now, her name is not changed. We get the green card and then we'll worry about actually going to Ukraine and getting everything changed later. Especially knowing that with... The green card that we're applying for now, we have to renew it in two years anyway. So we have basically, we can change her name in Ukraine within that two years. And then when we apply for the permanent uh, green card after that to have the mm-hmm. conditions removed, we can apply for it with, uh, you know, Peterson as her last name instead of Lopatkina. Anyways, that was a lot of fun um, figuring all of that stuff out and actually figuring out like, okay, what do we need to do? Uh, what do we have to do? What do we need? What documents do we need? Blah, blah, blah. And then only come to find out that we basically just can't even do it now, even if we wanted to. We pretty much just have to wait until we go to Ukraine. And we don't yeah. even know when that's going to be. So, Yeah, and we also were, we were planning to go to Europe um, in spring. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that was the reason why we actually went to D.C. and get a passport. But yeah. I just realized now we probably don't even need a passport. Yeah, so we ended up going to D.C. And so that Tanya could apply for a new passport so that she would at least have the biometric passport, which would allow her to go to Europe without a visa because we were planning to go there in the spring once her green card was processing and she got her travel document. Um, we've been talking about it more recently, and now we're not sure that we want to... Um, go and travel to Ukraine while the green card is still processing because there's a little bit of risk involved with that. Uh, Basically because when the green card is being processed, she can apply for something called advanced parole, which would allow her to travel outside of the U.S. while the green card is pending. And she can be readmitted again without a visa and without the green card, kind of um, based on the fact that she'd apply for a green card and it's still in processing. So the issue is that it's kind of like a visa it's not guaranteed that they readmit you again so it's like theoretically possible that we could travel and then 
um, they wouldn't let her back into the country again. And if that happens, then we basically have to start the whole process over again. And she would be stuck outside the U.S. for probably at least a year. Uh, and it would just be like a big mess that we didn't really want to get stuck in. Um, so I don't know. I th- maybe we haven't made a total final decision on that yet, but I think probably we're going to end up waiting uh, until the green card gets approved before we travel, just that we don't even have to worry about that risk. Um, even though it's probably a small chance and it would probably be fine. You know, this is what everybody thinks and the people who it actually happens to never expect it to happen to them, but then they're the ones who end up in this big, crazy situation. That's, you know, a big pain in the ass and it's hard to get back out of again. So first decision was when do we file and what do we do about Tanya's name? So we decided let's file right away. Let's wait and change your name later. Uh, the next thing that we went back and forth with for a while trying to make a decision on was whether or not we need to hire a lawyer. Uh, so Tanya had talked to some of her friends who had been through the green card process before and who said like, oh, we did it by ourselves and it was so easy. You don't need a lawyer, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I felt pretty comfortable like with that kind of paperwork and doing those types of forms before since I do similar things as part of my job. Um, you know, although nothing as like, lengthy and complicated as the green card application is and all the forms and stuff that go with that. But I'm used to the USCIS forms and the information that they ask for and how you fill them out in like a sort of general sense. So I felt pretty comfortable about doing that. But then still, you know, lately in the last few months, like in the news, there's been a lot of talk about all of this weird stuff that's happening with processing at USCIS Mm -hmm. and like weird um, cases that are getting denied Mm -hmm. for bizarre reasons and delays and Um, USCIS sending something called a request for evidence or an RFE, which is basically a letter where they're asking you for additional documents and then they're asking for all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. That stuff made me like a little bit nervous uh, and a little bit less confident than I probably would have been before about doing it by myself. Um, And I thought, well, maybe it would be worth it just to pay a lawyer to do it. And then we can kind of be comfortable knowing that we have someone Mm -hmm. who's going to kind of take care of a lot of that messy stuff for us. Yeah. But then we actually talked to a lawyer, um, somebody who, an office that I uh, have known a little bit from work um, and talked to them about how much it was going to cost and that kind of stuff. And uh, basically doing some research afterwards, I found out that what they charge is actually on the lower end of what some other places charge. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen people online saying like, oh, my attorney's charging me $4,000 to do this, which to me is just like insane because the filing fees are only around $1,800. So paying a lawyer $4,000 basically triples the cost of what it is. Right. Um, so the place that we talked to was only around 1800, which actually wasn't terrible or no, it was about 2000, which wasn't terrible, yeah. but it still, it doubles the cost of something that I think we can probably do ourselves. So ultimately, um, in the end we decided to do it ourselves. We were pretty confident in being able to prepare all the paperwork and stuff. And then I figured if something weird did happen, if we did get like requests for evidence or something later on, um, then we can always hire a lawyer at that point to kind of help us respond and, you know, be, get involved and, and go through, you know, if anything weird does happen, then we can hire somebody to kind of come in on the process. Then. Yeah, because the lawyer is not really guaranteed that you're going to, like, get approved or something, right? Right. And, like, even if you get denied and you pay the lawyer, um, you have to go through the process again, right? Right, yeah. And also, like... I, like you work in this field, do you think it really helped you, um, your experience to go through the documents? Yeah, so that's another reason that I kind of wanted to do it myself was that 
with my job, we do have students who come in sometimes and ask about filing for a green card and they ask for advice and they ask for questions, you know, they have different questions about things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I had never looked at the forms. I mean, some of them I had seen before because they're similar to things that you file for other applications, but I never looked through all of the forms and stuff that are required for the green card. I'd never actually gone through to see what was required from beginning to end and how the mm -hmm. whole process worked. So I thought like, in a weird way, it would be kind of like a good experience for me professionally to kind mm -hmm. of to do that stuff myself and to go through that by myself, you know, and then have that uh, experience and background to be able to advise students a little bit better. Even though, you know, my job is to advise students about their F1 visa. It's not to give them legal advice about a green card process or anything like that, but just to know for myself and be able to kind of answer general questions and how, you know, that stuff might affect their F1 and blah, 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 and how the process works. You know, sometimes we have students who get married to an American citizen and then they're asking about like, well, should I file for the green card now or should I maintain my F1 or what's the best thing for me? And if you're not really familiar with the green card process, it's kind of hard to give good advice. And, you know, again, we primarily advise on F1. So it's something that we're not like required to do. We don't mm -hmm. have to know all of the green card mm -hmm. process. And we're, you know, usually we just tell them like, well, you should probably talk to an immigration attorney, but for a question like that, you know, if a student goes to an attorney and the attorney charges them hundreds of dollars or whatever for something that's like a pretty easy question, yeah. um, you know, that's a situation where I'm not going to give legal advice, but if it's something where it's like a general question and I can help, mm -hmm. um, I would rather share my personal experience if it helps a student and then save them from spending a few hundred dollars at a lawyer. Um, so yeah, I mean, I thought it would be good for me as well just to like work on preparing that stuff and that way I have the experience when students come asking about it in the future. So do you think people that, um, you know, they're, they don't know anything about this, do you think they could do it themselves? I mean, people have, like, you know, people who have done that stuff before. Right. I would say if a student were asking me, like if a student came to me and said, hey, mm -hmm. I just got married, I don't right. know if I should do this myself. I don't know. I guess it depends a lot on the person. Some people are really, really detail oriented and they're really good at like doing a whole bunch of research and making things sure that everything is 100% mm -hmm. correct. Um, and some people just aren't and like they don't understand how serious it is and they think like oh well I can just go watch a YouTube video right. and then put this application together in 30 minutes and mail it out or whatever so mm -hmm. I think I would probably still um, advise them like look take a look at the paperwork start filling it out yourself and just see how far you get and see how comfortable you feel after a while and if you put the whole package together and you feel like you know, I read these guides, I followed all the directions, I'm like 100% positive that my materials are correct and I did everything the right way, then go ahead and do it yourself. But if you are someone who, you know, you're a little bit more anxious, you're not as confident, you're not sure that what you're filling out is right, you put all the materials together and you're still not sure after looking, you know, two or three times through mm -hmm. it and you're still not comfortable, you know, then it's worth it probably just to go and pay an attorney and that way you don't have to stay up at night weathering you know wondering whether you fill out all these forms correctly mm -hmm. so i guess it kind of depends on the people mm -hmm. and how comfortable they are i think for most people now um if there's an attorney in the area who is going to charge you a reasonable rate and if you have the means to do it um i would probably recommend if you're not familiar with the process to pay somebody mm -hmm. if you're able to do it you know, if not, not everybody has $2,000 to go and spend on a lawyer. And I totally understand and appreciate that. Um, if not, like, there are a lot of resources online that yeah, help you. Yeah, there was, like, an app that you found that, like, um, put well, yeah, together stuff for you? Yeah, so there's a couple different things, actually. Um, something I found by accident was, yeah, there are a few different apps where 
basically you type in all of your information and it fills out the forms for you and it says that they're reviewed by an immigration attorney and then they mail them to you and you basically just have to sign everything and then kind of put it together and mail it out. Mm-hmm. So some of those are like around $500 or six or $700, okay. which is like significantly cheaper than trying to hire an attorney. Um, so that's one option. Mm-hmm. I mean, I found a lot of resources online for free. There are a lot of different websites that have guides and stuff like that. The one I use the most is visajourney.com, which this is our first episode of a podcast, so we're definitely not sponsored by them or anything like that. I'm not being paid to say this. I don't even think, most of it is just guides that are written by people. It's not like a website that's trying to sell you anything anyways. Mm -hmm. It's more of like a forum. Uh, It's not like a product that someone's trying to push or trying to sell, but it's people just who have been through the process Mm -hmm. trying to help other people. Um, so that was super helpful because they have a lot of guides on there that tell you all the documents and stuff that you need and how mm-hmm. to fill things out. And then they have a forum area where people ask questions and, you, mm-hmm. you know, you can ask questions and they have discussions about how to do different things. So that was extremely helpful as far as like a good place to start. I did a lot of Googling even so to like make sure that I was I don't I didn't just want to find one guide on one website and then mm-hmm. follow that and just assume that that was going to be correct. Because right. if not, then you're screwed, basically. Yeah. So um, there's another website called immihelp.com, like M-E-I-M-M-I help.com, like immigrationhelp.com, which had, you know, similarly had a lot of forums and stuff with people posting about their processes on there. Um, So those two things I leaned on very heavily in terms of like finding sample forms, reading letters that other people had written, um, like cover letters and that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. seeing what documents people included what uh, like scans of evidence and stuff that you need to make and copies you need to make to include in the whole package. Mm -hmm. So both of those things were really, really helpful. And after I went through their guides and then read some of the posts from people on forums about their experiences and stuff, by the time I did all of that and then went through and put everything together myself, um, you know, I was feeling pretty confident by the end of it that we had Mm -hmm. done everything correctly. We don't know yet. Maybe everything is totally wrong and it's going to be denied. It's possible. But I think it's pretty good. It didn't get rejected right away. They took our payment, so that's a good sign. Uh, but, I, you know, I felt pretty comfortable afterwards that we had done everything correctly. The application was almost 300 pages. It was like 291 pages or something like that by the that's time ridiculous. I actually submitted everything. So, yeah, I think we hopefully with 300 pages, you nothing is missing because I don't know how anything could be missing and you have 300 pages of paperwork. Yeah, and also, like, the forms that I was filling out, they're like a lot of information is just repeating it's just you fill out the same information all like over and over again. Right. Yeah. So there are like, I mean, there are two main forms that you fill out, which is the I-485 and the I-140. And basically one of those is filled out by the U.S. citizen. The other one is filled out by the spouse. And then there are some like additional forms that go along with both of those. So in the end, there usually end up being somewhere between like four and seven total forms probably. And Keep in mind, some of those forms are like 50 pages long, or maybe not 50, maybe it's more like 30 or something like that, or 20. Um, But it's a lot of paperwork. And because it's multiple forms, yeah, there's a lot of repetitions, questions that are being asked multiple times. You're filling out the same information over and over and over again. And then it's kind of hard to keep track of like, oh yeah, did I already fill this out? But oh no, that was on the other form. And then you gotta make sure that, you know, you don't skip over anything because you think like, oh, I already answered that, but oh no, wait, that was on another form. And I also had to put it on this one as well. So that was kind of tricky just because there's a lot of little details to sort of keep track of and that kind of stuff. And you feel like you're going crazy just writing the same things over and over and over again on these different forms. And there are a lot of fields to fill out. So it's like very, uh, you have to be very meticulous in going through and making sure Mm -hmm. that you did everything correctly. 
just to talk a little bit about like how we actually approached filling out the different forums and doing all the application and stuff. Basically, um, I found all those guides, I started reviewing them, I found all the forms that we needed, and I downloaded PDF copies of the forms on my laptop. And then I spent an afternoon going through and just answering like everything that I possibly could in all of the forms that are required. Because uh, I, I was at work, I didn't have all of the different, um, oh, I shouldn't have said that I spent a whole afternoon no. at work doing that. No. So I was at home, and um, I was at home uh, sitting with my dog, drinking a beer, Oops, and... Um, no drinking beer. No, no beer. Uh, coffee. Opened up the forms. I started filling out as much of them as possible. But I didn't have all the different documents with me, especially Tanya's documents at that time. Um, so basically, I just went through and filled out everything I could off the top of my head and then just left everything else blank. Um, with the forms that I had to fill out and sign, I went and found my documents, filled out all of that stuff, and then saved it. And then with some of the stuff about Tanya that I didn't know or I didn't have offhand, um, I just saved those PDFs and then emailed them to her and then had her review everything and correct things that I messed up and then fill out the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And then once that was done, once we had everything kind of like a first draft, I printed out everything, um, which at that point was like, I don't know, almost 100 pages already mm -hmm. uh, so that we could sit down and kind of go through everything again with a pen and like mark stuff up and cross things out and write things in. Um, going looking again mostly for things that were missing but also anything that I had entered incorrectly that we needed to fix because I put some of Tanya's information wrong or something like that so that was also really helpful just to, for me personally I am good at I mean it, it helps me not only to review things on the computer but also to like have a physical copy and be able to go through mm -hmm. it and mark it up with a pen and cross things out so that was really helpful and there was a lot of things that I caught that like I had missed the first time around um, that we needed to edit and update and stuff so that was a very good idea I think to go through and do it that mm -hmm. way and then once that was done I went back into the PDFs again and updated them uh, sort of like a final time with all the corrections that we'd made on the paper and then I printed them again and went through and reviewed them one more time just to make sure that everything was correct um, and even then there were still like a couple of things I found w that we had missed uh, but at that point like it was 95% correct so there were a couple of small things where I was able to just like fix it and then just reprint that one sheet instead of like mm -hmm. reprinting the entire application. Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't like a, a big deal. Um, and then there were just a few like last minute things we had to add in that we were waiting on. Because um, some of the documents that you have to submit, like we had to get copies of Tanya's birth certificate and then have it translated. And like it's tricky sometimes to get those documents and get them translated and certified and whatever. So we were still waiting on a few of those things um, to kind of put together before everything was finally done. Mm -hmm. So I would say like, I don't know, it took us a couple of weeks to get everything together. It probably took like maybe, I don't know, eight hours or so, 10 hours of total time of like yeah. filling out everything, editing, yeah. putting everything together. It's not too bad. It actually wasn't terrible. I thought it was going to be a lot worse, but it yeah. ended up not being that bad. But once I was like pretty confident that everything was filled out correctly, then I put everything in the order I wanted to send it in, paper clipped everything together, then unpaper clipped everything so that I could make a copy. Because I read online like, oh, you need to make two copies of the entire package. But by the time I put it all together and I realized it was like 300 pages, I realized like I don't want to make two copies of a 300 page document. I ended up just scanning it instead and making like a huge PDF, which I had to do in parts because the even though, again, I did it at work, don't tell anybody, um, but we have like a big office copier and scanner where you can like put in big stacks of paper it couldn't handle doing 300 pages in one pdf so i ended up having to like split it into the multiple forms and scan it in like 15 or 20 pages at a mm -hmm. time and then 
uh, basically edit the PDF to combine all the different parts again back mm -hmm. into one big one. So now we have a, a copy of it that's in a PDF. So if we do need to like print anything or whatever, I have a copy of the entire 300 page package okay. in a big PDF, but so I didn't, didn't make a physical make, copy. You didn't make a physical copy. No, I just didn't yeah. want to waste all the paper. Smart. Hopefully we don't need it. Smart. And I, I yeah. wanted to save the trees. It seemed like a lot of waste, especially now with. Yeah. I mean, it's probably sometimes some of this stuff like doesn't get updated. Right. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, make two copies. Yeah. Well, if you can't make a PDF, well, you don't know how to make a PDF. Yeah. And with, I mean, probably like PDFs now you can, and with an office scanner, you can make a very like high quality copy in a PDF where you can just reprint it. And the quality is probably even better than it would have been if you just made a copy from the scan from the copy machine right. anyway. So I figured like that was just as good as actually having a physical copy of it, which we would hopefully never yeah. even need. I also wanted to add it, um, something about the photo. So like um as i've used before there is a a very helpful information on the government website is in the uscis website they have a yeah. photo requirements right yeah I so think. for passport style photos they have like specific requirements yeah. for the like, size I, I know it's like doesn't really cost much but uh i think you still but like, you can do the photo yourself mm -hmm. you just have to like go um on a website see the photo examples see the requirements and just to make sure you follow all of them and then they're very helpful. I think that what the the most like the mistake people make, I think that like the proportions, because I think they say it should take uh, um sixty percent of the photo. Yeah. Like your face and stuff. So they have a very helpful photo crop tool mm -hmm. on there. So if you have a photo, you just go there and it creates basically uh, the right size. Oh, I think they say the size should be six hundred over six hundred pixels. And um, so it should be square and it should take up to 60%. Yeah, it's like two inches by two inches. Of right. The yeah. So the photo uh, crop tool, that uh, crop photo tool, yeah. um, it creates the size you need and you have to just like basically place your face um, in between uh, those two ovals and then it gives you the right proportion. I will say that it worked for us and I know that Tanya did that before when she was applying for OPT and stuff as well. Uh, but she has a nice camera and she's, used to editing photos and stuff because she does it for fun in her free time. I would say if that's not something that you've done before and you, that you're not really comfortable with, um, I would recommend just going somewhere and paying some, you know, whatever FedEx or whoever, Walgreens or CVS or whoever, pay them $10 just to do the pictures. If, if you've never done anything like that before, even though the tool is great and it's really easy, uh, like I've seen students before, I, in multiple cases in my last job um, where students were applying for LPT and they wanted to save a couple dollars, so they made their own pictures, and then uh, their application ended up getting rejected because the pictures weren't right. And usually it's fine, you can just get new pictures and resubmit it, but depending on the timeline, if you end up like applying too late and then it gets rejected and it gets rejected after the deadline, like you can't resubmit everything after that. So, um, you know, it, it is pretty, yeah. like it's definitely easy to do them yourself. If you have even a little bit of experience with doing editing and that kind of stuff, the tool makes it like very easy, but um, you just have to be really careful about like the background and especially shadows around the face. I've seen that's like probably the most common reason I've seen students get their pictures sent back is because, well, number one, the first thing is that they just sent them in the wrong size. Like they didn't right. cut the photo right and it wasn't a square. Um, but the second thing being they had these like weird shadows around their face from just like standing in front of a wall and then not paying attention to how much shadow was around their head and they get rejected because of that. Um, if you have any doubts, I would say like, 
you know, if you are an international student or something, um, you know, go to your international student advisor, ask them to look at the photos and ask them if they think they're fine. Because, you know, as part of my job, that's something that we review with like every OPT application. So we're, yeah. I've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of passport photos that students have submitted. So I think I have a pretty good idea mm -hmm. now of what they're supposed to look like. Um, or I don't know, find somebody else who has experience with this and ask them like what the, you know, how they look, or if there's any doubt at all, just take new ones or go pay somebody else to do them or whatever. Yeah. But even then I should say, I've also had students who did pay to get them done somewhere and they were still rejected because of shadow around the face. So even if you pay FedEx to do it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be 100% correct. So just be careful, um, you know, and make sure that you read the guidelines and follow them so that you don't accidentally, it's a very like stupid thing to have a whole application rejected over. Yeah. Well, I just know that there is a, that green card lottery, you know, and usually people take photos um, for that by themselves because, I don't know, maybe, yeah. I don't know, maybe they just don't take it that serious. I don't know. But anyways, um, what I'm saying is that they just did it recently, you know, that like when you go on the website mm -hmm. and you click like photo requirements, they actually have... Um, photos that are like good examples and photos that are bad examples oh, nice. with all of those shadows and stuff and they have like you know you click on each photo and it tells you what's wrong with that one and how to fix it and mm -hmm. how not to do things so it's like it's really helpful especially for me I think I you know um, process information like visually rather than just like um, reading about what's required and stuff so I think it's really helpful because even when you ask someone to do that or I mean I'm not sure but I think sometimes photographers they also can like you know do something wrong I, I mean I knew it happened before especially maybe if you're like from a different country and they don't know what's mm -hmm. the uh, United States requirements you know what are two inches by two inches right what's they don't an, know what inches what's are. an inch <laughs> right so anyways I mean it's just like something to look in um, to and you know just getting familiar with that because um, the thing with that if you apply for any kind of like government um, documentation uh, which I never knew about this that you have to get like a new photo every time you apply like you cannot use the same photo that you did like previously on the you know with OPT for example you apply for OPT and then when you apply for OPT extension you cannot use the same photo you used for the OPT because it needs to be well first of all it needs to be like no like no more than six months yeah they, or well, no they say that the photo should be taken within the last 30 days, 30 days. so occasionally okay. what students will do is like they apply for they get a new visa maybe like in january and then six months later they're going to apply for opt and they have a couple of um copies of the pictures that they had taken for their visa they have a couple of like extra copies of those mm -hmm. pictures left over, so they just use the same picture and they send them with their OPT application. Mm -hmm. Basically, I mean, the the dirty little secret is that USCIS does not, as far as I know, does not have a tool like a machine where they can put your photos in and it does some kind of like, you know, like carbon dating to see if your photos are more than thirty days old. You know, like it doesn't work like that. But um, if they see that you you know, you have to send a copy of your visa as part of that application. And if they see that the photo that you sent them is the same as the photo on the visa that you sent a copy of, then they're going to reject it and send them back and ask for new ones. Mm -hmm. So you should definitely use different photos that you've never used on any kind of government document before. Um, it sh they say it should be within 30 days old. If it's like 35 days old or whatever, mm -hmm. they're not going to 
stick it in the machine oh, yeah. and like yeah, date yeah. it. But it definitely should not be a photo that you've used on another document in the past, especially yeah. a visa or passport. So what other things did we learn from this? We learned, yeah, be careful with your photos, uh, but you can do them yourself. Make a shit ton of copies of everything because like, I mean, passports, I think, I don't even know how many copies of each of our passports we had to include in the total application because like sometimes there are multiple forms and you would think like, oh, well, these four forms are all asking for copies of our passport. So I'll just include one copy of the passport and that's fine. But no, you have to submit a copy of your passport for each of the individual forms. So um, just be careful, read all of the requirements for each individual form and make sure that you're submitting all the, the specific documents for that form. Um, like you're gonna end up having to submit multiples of almost everything. So just do yourself a favor from the beginning and uh, do a little bit of research to see how many copies of each thing you need and then just make a ton of copies from the get-go so you're not going back and making copies like over and over and over again. Okay, so something else that helped us quite a bit was that Tanya already had some copies of some of the documents that she needed from Ukraine um, that she had gotten before. So we already had some of those documents that had already been translated and like certified and stuff. So it made it a lot easier um, and a lot quicker to put all of that stuff together and get additional copies to submit. It would have taken us a lot longer if it was like, especially like the birth certificate we did have to have done, but it was didn't take that long. Um, but some of the documents, depending on what they are, they ask you to have like a certified translation and stuff. So it helps to start getting that stuff together like as soon as possible before you start putting everything else together. Just because you never know how long that stuff is gonna take depending on where you're from and where those documents are and who has them and how they're gonna send them. You know, it helps to have that stuff put together ahead of time. So for us, that made things a lot easier because we already had some of those copies and stuff already done. Also, I think um, what's important, I remember one of my friend, uh, she applied for a green card maybe like a year ago or something. And she said like, you need like, all of the documents like keep all of them because like they gonna ask for the documents you know like from five years or ago or something so the other thing was like i remember student advisor told me keep copy of all of your i-20s like how many i had like, yeah maybe especially 10. especially immigration documents like we always tell students do not get rid of them like even if you have a hundred i mean not a hundred yeah nobody's gonna have a hundred hopefully right. but even if you have 20 different I-20s, like you need to keep copies of all of those because you never know when you're gonna need them in the future. I mean, hopefully you never will. And if you really do have 20 and one is missing, like it's probably not gonna be an issue. Uh, but especially with immigration documents, keep everything, never get rid of them. If you, I mean, keep the originals if you can, um, at least with everything that you have, like make a scan of it, save it as a PDF. That way if something happens and you do lose the original, you are at least gonna have a PDF that you can use to make yeah. a copy of. Um, but it's really important like to make sure even if it seems like you're never gonna need something, like save it anyways, just that you have it. It's it's really difficult. Like we get contacted by students all the time who are asking like, oh, do you have a copy of my old I-20? Like no joke, over the summertime, we had a student who wrote a letter and sent it in the mail and it ended up on my desk on a Monday morning. Hey, I attended uh, your university from 1982 to 1985 and uh, I'm applying for a green card right now. My lawyer is asking me for copies of all of my old I-20s, so I need you to send them to me. And first of all, the way that like retention um, rules work with universities, like we're not required to keep documents for that long. Uh, I think at the maximum is like five years or so. Even then, we don't keep copies of everything because immigration documents are your responsibility. Like we're not required to keep copies of all of those, depending on what it is. And that's a situation where you would never expect that you're going to need to document 30 years from now, but like. 
uh, who knows? Who knows? And I understand 30 years ago, that person didn't have access to like save it as a PDF and upload it in a Google Drive, right? That didn't exist. Right. But at the same time, like contacting a university and expecting them to have a document for you from 30 years ago mm-hmm. when there was no Google Drive and PDFs, like what are the chances of that, you know? Um, so of course we definitely did not have those documents and like had to let the student know like, Hey, sorry, but those things are long gone and you're probably never going to see them again. Yeah. I mean, just be proactive about that stuff. Make copies, save everything, never throw anything away unless you have a copy. I mean, yeah, don't throw it away if you can avoid it in general, but if you're really have to or whatever, just make a copy of it first, save it somewhere so that you never lose it for good. Marriage license. So it works differently in different states and different counties, but we live in Cleveland and the way that it works in Cleveland is that you get married, you marry, you mail the signed uh, like marriage license back to them. Well, not you. Well, yeah, the uh, minister or officiant. Uh, then you wait two weeks and then you mm-hmm. have to go back down to the courthouse and you can pay $2 and get a copy. That's another thing that the application itself wanted a lot of copies of. I think we had to submit at least two, I think. So when I went down there, um, just knowing that and knowing that we might need them for like insurance or different work things or whatever, um, when I went down there, I ended up just getting five copies because, I mean, they cost $2 and I would rather just have the copies that we need and not have to go back down there again because it's kind of a pain in the ass. So uh, now I went down there, I got five copies, we sent two, we have three left that we can use for whatever else we may need them for and I don't hopefully never have to go back down to that building even though it's a nice building it's beautiful but it's kind of a <laughs> yeah, pain to go beautiful. down there in the morning so um definitely get extra copies of that as well if i mean sometimes they just mail it to you i think like that's what my dad was saying was oh yeah they'll just mail it to you a couple weeks later well apparently cleveland doesn't do that but some places will and then last thing i again we already mentioned this earlier um but just double check everything triple check everything um don't and then double check again yeah re-double triple quadruple check cross-reference as much as you can with like multiple websites with multiple guides it is a little bit confusing sometimes because i did see like a little bit of conflicting information where like one website is saying oh you need to include this and then the other website's like oh you don't need to include that but you need to include this so as much as possible i just included everything and like tried not to make a decision about what to leave out but there are some things that if i had only followed like one guide i would not have included them because they weren't on there but i found them on a different website or a different guide instead so i decided to include them like copies of all Tanya's i20s. I mean, she's here on an F1 visa, so it kind of makes sense. But the first guide that I looked at didn't have that in there because it wasn't specifically for F1 students. Exactly. So um, if you can find something like that as well, I mean, there are many, many different visa categories Mm -hmm. that someone could be adjusting for. So like one guide is never going to be able to cover every situation. Um, So as much as possible, look at different guides, review different um, resources there are a lot of good forums like visa journey and emmy help that i mentioned earlier where people are talking about their experiences and answering questions and stuff so rely on other people as much as possible as well because it's a long process it's a hard process but many people have been through it and a lot of the people who have been through it are seems like are very open to being helpful and helping others as much as they can so lean on them as a resource and take advantage of that kind of stuff as much as you can mm-hmm. i mean this was like step one in the very long and multi-step journey so we'll definitely have other updates about this as we go through the other parts of the process in the future Um, but for now we got everything mailed they received it they took our payment hopefully we get the receipt notice soon and then it's like the official start to the waiting period and so to end the show um, with something a little bit more fun maybe a little bit more uh, exciting and entertaining 
Uh, we decided to try a segment called Shit Americans Say. Shit Americans Say. So the idea of uh, for this basically came from the fact that a lot of times we're walking around and somebody will say something and Tanya will be like, what did he just say? Or what did she just say? Or she'll come home from work and be like, uh, so so-and-so said this at work today and then she'll tell me what it was and then she'll be like, what does that even mean? Or like, what did mm-hmm. he mean by that? Uh, and there's a lot of, I mean, there's millions and millions of examples of this. So we thought it would be fun each week to come up with some kind of example of that. Um, that we can explain. Tanya can, uh, you know, share her experience. Then we'll talk about what it actually mm-hmm. means or what did they say? What did it mean? What can we learn from this? So the most recent one when um, we went to a park and then there was a lake. So I was like trying to, you know, kind of like run and um, have this like look like I'm jumping into the lake. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy with his son like passing by and he like, saw me doing that you know running and then like stopping and then just like having this look so he's like telling me chicken and i'm like well i know what chicken is you know like i i speak a little bit of english i know what chicken means <laughs> this is what's like confusing sometimes because you even know the word and you know what it means but in the context you know maybe like you you just don't realize or something right so sometimes it's just like um so we're walking around the lake tanya pre- pretends like she's gonna jump in and this guy who just happens to be walking by and notice notices her goes chicken and then like starts laughing and i start laughing too and i just the teaser a little bit start going like bark 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 and like doing the little <laughs> chicken walk like flapping my little chicken wings and meanwhile like I look at Tanya and I see that she's just looking at me like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, what are you doing, like, you crazy I was person? like, do I look like a chicken? You know, do I like uh, have, this is how the chicken looks like when try to jump in a lake or something? Um, no, but then you said the chicken, it's um, basically a person who is like scared to do something and you would call them chicken. Yeah, so if somebody's like afraid to do something, I mean, this is especially a thing that, it's like a thing that kids do, but you know, if somebody's, afraid to do something we could call them a chicken and then you go like bark 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 just to kind of like tease them and mm-hmm. sort of like uh try to goad them into actually doing it so tanya had no idea like what we're talking about she's just looking at me like i'm a big dummy because i'm making chicken noises and doing a little chicken walk uh <laughs> so yeah so chicken if you call someone a chicken uh it means that they're afraid to do something and you're kind of teasing them because they're scared i don't really know what it is about a chicken wired why do we call people chicken? Are chickens scared Maybe of things? Maybe sometimes, you know, a chicken, when you, it's just like, you know, uh, runs away from you because it scares or something. Yeah, I don't know. Also, like, what is the noise the chicken make? What do you say? Bok, 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 bok. Yeah, say like, kukariku, you know? Kukariku? Yeah, it's like, how the rooster, what's the rooster makes noise? Cock-a-doodle-doo. Cock-a-doodle-doo. So I think it's very similar to cock a Cock-a-doodle-doo? Cock-a-doodle-doo? doo cock a doodle doo So it's kukariku that we say. Kukariku. Kukariku. Yeah, cock a doodle doo Yeah, I mean, it's But chicken similar. would just go bark, 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 bark. Yeah. 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 Okay, Fun. well, that's it for episode one. Yeah, see you next time. Episode oh. one of the Yugeb Sh- Hear you podcast. next time. Yugeb podcast. Yugeb show. Yugeb show. 
Yeah, that's it for episode one. Thank you guys for listening. We're going to go and fight about the name. Yeah, we're going to go have an argument about the name. Maybe it'll be different next time. Probably not. Bye. Bye. Oh, fuck. No, I just read the wrong part of this. Okay, I can't read my own notes. I was like, leave unknowns blank. What does that even mean? How is that a hint? Oh, no, it's because I'm learning from the wrong part.